Educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm, live from Maribyrnong Education Centre in Victoria, Australia. You're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. Yes, y'all. Yes, 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 y'all. Yes, 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 Hello, everyone. Welcome from live from Maribyrnong Education Centre in Victoria, Australia. You're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. My name is Hope. This is Molly, Sienna, and Angel, and we're us with a special guest, Daniel Irwin. Daniel. How did you start gambling? Uh, I started when I was 16 um, in playing senior cricket and senior football. So I had uh, peers that I looked up to and worshipped in a way. And I worked on a Friday night at the local sports store to get my $30 and I put $25 into the punting fund on a Saturday morning. So that was my introduction to gambling. Um, what were you thinking when you took money from your joint savings account and how did you justify it to your wife? Uh, probably easy to justify to my wife because she didn't know. Yep. Um, that was part of the lies and everything that you're told when you're gambling. Um, in my mind, and when you're in the gambling bubble, if you like, um, you justify everything that it's okay. So you might be doing something that's really like even just that question makes me cringe a little bit in the fact that that was my that was me that was I did all that um but when you're going through as an addict and whether it's a gambling addict or a drug addict or, a, or someone who struggles with alcohol um some of the poor choices that you make you justify in your head that that's okay like you justify that yes I need this money or yes me shifting money from my savings account and not paying the house loan to give me money to gamble with at the time was okay. Like looking back and talking about it now, you think, oh, my God, how could you do that? But when you're in that bubble, you, you justify it as a, that's okay. You lie to yourself. We understand that you started with the footy club. Yep. How was it like being in a footy club like that? Now or then? Both. Both. Yeah, a little bit different now. <laughs> so during my recovery um, – I couldn't park, go past any pub tabs or anything like that. I actually had routes to go to work. I would actually go a 10-minute longer journey so I wouldn't drive past them just so I couldn't see them and it made my life easier. Um, yeah, for a long time, um, well, even up into this year, I've had no involvement with a local footy club at all. And whether that's my subconscious not getting me back in there, until this year and my daughter's playing footy, she's gone footy mad. Um, so I'm back involved in helping her in the under-15 girls down at Newport. And I'm actually really enjoying it because I think it's just a pure, we're just playing footy for fun again. Um, so I'm really enjoying it. But it definitely pushed me away from footy club in that environment for sure. Are you able to see some of the patterns back then versus now in the footy? For what? Yeah, look, I have. I, it's amazing how many um, – Friends of friends have come to me uh, for advice. Like I talked about before about my peer connection program where we do a, a, a phone line. Uh, I think about four of my callers now are actual friends of friends that I speak to. I don't know. I haven't met them. I've met them on the phone. But it's made it um, easy. I think in this environment now, it's so much harder for you guys, like with the phones and the access. Like for me, you either had to go to the pub or to the – TOB shop to put your bet on. Like now, and I've gone to reunions and footy reunions before the game, the players will be sitting there all with their phones putting their bets on. 
And then as soon as they come off and sing the song, they're grabbing their phones again. So I sometimes think, how would I have gone now to then? And it scares me a little bit. I think I would be. I think I probably would have been a lot worse. So. Um, at what point did you know that your marriages were affected? If I'm being honest, very early on. Um, I think when you're lying and not being honest about where you've been, the money that you're spending. Um, I think so. Yeah. Not so much. I think because at the start it was just part of my life. That was like you know from you know the binge drinking and the binge gambling, which went hand in hand on Saturday night. Well, that's that part of that binge drinking was when I, how I met my first wife, and so it wasn't. She knew that we did that. Um, the second one was a little bit different, um, but again, the lies. Like as soon as you're not being honest, um, my partner now, my wife now, we met online, um, and she asked me a question. Well, what happened? In your marriages, so the gambler me would say would have lied and sugarcoated it and said, "Well, we just had a uh, a difference of opinion and blah blah blah." But I was honest. I said, "Well, both were results of my gambling," um, and sent that back. Never thought I'd hear from her ever again. Uh, but she just sent. I think I still remember the thing was that. Uh, well, that wasn't the answer I was expecting. Well, that wasn't the response I was expecting. But we kept talking, and yeah, we've been together for nearly ten years, and I think. From a gambler, because you lie so much through all that period, when you get past it and you're being open and honest, it's just such a good feeling. You can be open. That's what I said to you before about questions. Happy to answer any of them because I'm, that's yesterday. That's happened way back, so it's gone. So. so how does it feel now that you have lost two marriages? Do you think that your relationship now is stronger than your prior ones? Yes, from, from being honest, from the honest perspective. And I live a much uh, less stressful life. One, I have money in the bank, which is a nice feeling. I can spoil my daughter and my wife when I want to. Um, if I get invited on, invited on a golf trip, I don't have to scrounge the funds to be able to go. Um, so it's a lot. Um, yeah, I've definitely learned a lot. and. And as, but as I said before, you can't do anything about your mistakes, like the, the things you've done wrong yesterday, and that's for you guys as well. Like you can only – the advice I got was to do everything right today. So have a really good day today. Um, meet your commitments. Do what you said you were going to do, whether that's at home, whether that's your chores at home, whatever that might be, and do it, again, do it again tomorrow and do it again the next day. And all of a sudden you've got a week of good behaviour and you've met your commitments and one – you feel good about yourself rather than sitting back and go, I've lied to this, I've done this to my wife, I've done this to my child, I've done this, and it's just negative, negative, negative. It's hard to put yourself in a good frame of mind when that's going on. So I understand that there was a point in your life where you are really down and you no longer wanted to be here. How did that feel for you? Looking back, you just want to fix it right then and then. You don't want to do the hard work because it's not – it's something that I did for 25 years. So if you've got a habit that you've done for 25 years, spend five hours plus a week doing it and then at the 25-year mark, your life falls apart and someone says, oh, you can't do it anymore. This is a massive change that you've got to make. So 
in your head you go, no, nah, that's too hard. I haven't got the commitment to do that. And I have that sort of issue at times. And I said, oh, I didn't push myself to be the best footballer I could because it was too hard. So my option then was everything's just too hard. I'm going to take the easy way out and taking my own life was that was an, definitely an option, yeah. So we know that um, you were living with your parents on your mum's couch. What made you like want to change that? Did she say something to you or? No, mum being mum and I think all mums are a bit biased. If I was still there on the couch now 10 years later, she'd probably be okay with that. <laughs> but um, she'd drive me mad at the same time. She's lovely. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to still be there. All our mums drive, our, drive us mad at some times. Uh, it was probably that talk I had with my counsellor early on about telling my friends. I think it was the friends check-in to, one, tell them what I'd done, but then virtually by the time I got through the five days, by the weekend I had the first, one of the first ones ring up and say, oh, how are you going? How'd you go with those jobs? Did you get a job? Da, 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 and just sort of pushing me, well, hang on, mate. It's, yep, it's, you've bottomed out here, but you can get back. So having them push you along um, – was it was so helpful in my in my recovery process for sure. You become accountable to, which through a gambling career, it never happened. So, yep. Hello, everyone. So we're just back with David Irwin, and we're speaking to him about his gambling problems. So there's just hope, Zaniana, Angel, and Molly. And another question is going to be, what is it like opposed to now being a counselor and being able to support these people? Yeah, great. I really love it. Um, I went back to, just to tell you a story, I went back to Gamblers Anonymous in Bendigo. I had to go there for work, so I thought I'd go. And funnily, there's still three or four of the same 10 people when I was going 10 years ago. And there's an old, there was an older fellow there who hasn't gambled, we hadn't gambled for about 25 years, still goes to Gamblers Anonymous every Thursday. And he talks about that if he could just help one person, that'd be great. And he talks about, uh, the, having a button in our chest. So addictive personalities, we're a bit different. We're built a little bit different and you have to work hard at keeping that in the off position. Uh, it was, it's a good analogy. On that night, we had someone come in and he was a mess. He had two kids. I think he was up, lived up at Chukaway. Uh, he was going to lose his business. He was kicked out of the home. Similarities to my story. Um, couldn't get through his story and was just so devastated with what was going on. And I was talking to Dennis after it and I said, oh, he's in such a bad way. I hope he gets back on track. I really hope he gets the help he needs. And he said, um, do you understand that you were worse when you first came? And here I was sort of making this judgment of this fellow 10 years later and I was in a worse, I was a worse mental, um, emotional wreck when I first came. So that just put things in perspective to say, crap, I have come a long way. I have from that point to where I am now, I've done a lot of good things. Um, the other good thing, it's great to have money in my bank and be able to do stuff. That's good. that's a nice feeling too. So, yeah, it's very different. A lot stressful, a less stressful life. And I love chatting to you guys and, and getting out and telling my story. So you got involved in the gambling due to your footy club. Yep. Do you still socialise with any of the other people and do you know any of them who have also gained an addiction from that day? Um, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, from in my early days, no, I don't have much to do with any of that 
uh, that group. I have found out a lot about my close friends um, who have come out and said that they potentially they've had issues in the past and that some are gambling issues, some were anxiety issues. Like one of my friends played, we played in a footy premiership in Bendigo together and he couldn't go out of the house other than Thursday night for for training and Saturday for footy. For a while he had, I think he had 12 weeks off work because his anxiety was that bad, but he wouldn't talk to us about it. It's such a country men thing to do to not say you're struggling, to say, I need some help. Can someone, can we talk about it? Can we get some help? So, yeah, that too, to ask for help is a massive thing as well. Um, so we understand that you have relapsed before. When was the last time you relapsed and how did that make you feel? Another question. Uh, well, the last time I gambled was Anzac Day 2012. Yep. So I've just... I've just ticked over 11 years and I was at a dawn service. So quite often I'm in the dawn service, I get emotional for two reasons. One, understanding I've learnt more about our Anzacs and what they sacrificed and it puts my issues in perspective as well. Um, during the time of trying to get help, me telling myself I don't need it, going back to gambling, um, always thought it was my partner's issue or someone else's issue. Never wanted to see or look in the mirror and say, hang on, that's my issue. I need to fix myself. I've got some issues here. So why that was, you just lie to yourself and keep going. Yeah. So there was only periods of – but until that time – and I could have gone both either way. Like would have been easy for me to pack up, move to Perth or Queensland and just forget about it and forget I didn't have a daughter and – uh, move away. I'd probably still be gambling up there and have no money. And um, but yeah, you just tell yourself that it's okay. Um, can you now like go out for dinner in places where there are pokies? Yes, no problem at all. At first, in that first little bit of recovery, uh, no. Um, and as I said on my way to work, I went a different way to stay away. But my friends would look out for me. So Instead of saying, oh, let's catch up for dinner and we'll go to the pub tab, they'd pick a nice restaurant that we haven't been to or a Thai restaurant or something like that that had no pokies, no gambling or anything and we'd go there and have a good night and actually chat. And So they sort of looked after me and I think that's where when I talk to my callers through Peer Connection, the ones that just want to do it themselves, so they're not getting any support from family, friends or anything, they struggle. It's hard. But the ones that are a bit more open about it, and whether mine was sort of pushed on me, um, I just think there's a much better chance for you to beat the addiction and get back on track. So. And you were gambling. Like what were you gambling on? Uh, for me, mainly sports betting. So horse racing, uh, football and NBA basketball were my three um, big issues, if you like. So, yeah, a lot of time on that. So the NBA was a sort of like a summer thing to keep me – doing gambling on something through the summer. Um, spring carnival, I'd spend a lot of money and go to the races. Um, I actually went back to a racetrack. My, and we talked about, I think one of the questions before, do other friends gambling now still affect me? Well, she actually is part owner in a racehorse. And we went to the Gold Coast and we actually went to the racetrack. And I'd only, I said I'd only ever do it with her because she understands the whole, and I felt so anxious. It just brought so much of the bad memories back. Um, 
but I just wanted I just wanted to do it to see how I'd feel. I felt really anxious going back. So um yeah, no, I won't go back again. So um obviously you spent quite a lot of money. How much in total do you reckon you would have spent overall during the years? Yeah, no, I got one of my counselors made me do this. Um we thought somewhere with football money and everything, somewhere between two hundred and seventy and three hundred and fifty thousand. And if you were to have used that money on something else, what would you have used it for? A sixty-seven Mustang, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I look at it now, and my daughter says, "Oh," and my daughter, she's cheeky, and um, she knows I love a Mustang. And for one of my birthdays, she brought me a little car. She's a Mustang dad, <laughs> so she's got a sense of humour as well. But she knows she calls this my second job that she knows, and she's come out of stuff. As well. Um. Yeah, it comes back to that looking back part. Like, in one way, it was nice to know sort of what I'd lost, but I can't get it back. Um, <laughs> we've got like a five-acre property down at Bunnyong now. I love my life. Um, I'm just so glad it's come from where I was in 2012 to what I have now. But when you're having a a bad day, when we all have them, um, we have the "Why me? This is shit." Like, or when you carry on, and it only happens to me. Sometimes I'll look back and look and, and think, oh, what could I have done with that money? Um, but, yeah, there's nothing I can do about it now. But, yeah, it was a lot of money and, yeah, it does – when you do look back, it um, scares you how much you did lose. Did you ever, like, win a lot? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was a couple of the moments that I said before about um, – there's a couple of sliding door moments where I think when you're looking back of I should have stopped. But what happens when you win – so in one weekend, I won over $30,000 on the Friday night and by Monday morning, it was all gone. So that just tells you, so you're betting amounts. When you win, you just triple do crazy things and then you start thinking, oh, well, I'll just double it and I'll get it back next time. And One night I spent, I think, 16, 18 hours at the casino and lost probably around $10,000 and went down and had Chinese in the Bay Marie because that's all I could afford. Like a, probably a piece of fish and that was sitting there for two hours, but I was happy to lose $10,000. Do you know what I mean? It just, it's beyond comprehension. And that, and that's the thing we spoke about earlier. Somehow in your own mind, you say that that's okay. That behavior's all right. I'm, it's, yeah, that's normal. But looking back, yeah, it's just not. It's, yeah. When people started to realise that you had a gambling addiction, what was the best piece of advice you were given? Well, during my whole gambling career, if you like, I had one friend come up to me and said, I think something's not right. You're right. So I just fobbed them off. So that's the only conversation I had until I rang and told them exactly what I'd done. I think as guys, we don't probe. So if I – we're now, I think that – that, that's shifting. I think that's shifting to say, are you okay? And you get the, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Just the kids are giving me all jobs. Giving me. No, are you really fine? Are you, are you really okay? Is everything okay at work? So we'll push a little bit more with that question, which I think is really good. The best piece of advice I got was for me to not look back. There's nothing you can do about yesterday. And I was so much with the, in the work I did with my counsellor, I have an awfulising personality that 
in the past, I would have come here, I would have been thinking about coming here and I would have had a thought in my mind, I'd slip over a cord and fall over <laughs> on my face. Or, do you know what I mean? I'll just think of the worst possible, and we've all done it at times, but I'd just go back to the what if. So when I won that $30,000, I'd say, if I had to stop gambling then, I could have paid most of my debts off. Uh, where would my life be? Well, there's no point worrying about that, but it took me a long time to understand that. Um, and just being kinder. I think is everyone be kind, give your time up, help others. Um, so those two, um, but just not looking back, just living today and a good day tomorrow. Perfect. And what is some potential advice that you would give to someone who's like starting down that pathway? Uh, talk about it. Get some help um, and don't be afraid. The other good bit of advice was um, put some faith in your family and friends. Um, I don't think we do that enough. They'll be there for you. They will back you. Um, so be a bit more open and um, don't be afraid to say that you're struggling and you've got a you've got an issue and you need some help. That's all we have for today. Thank you for Daniel. It's been great pleasure talking to you today, live from Maribor Education Centre in Victoria, Australia. You've been listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. My name is Hope and my co-host. Uh, Ziana, Angel, Molly, thank you for joining us today. We really hope this information is useful. <laughs> Educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm, live from Maribor Education Centre in Victoria, Australia. You're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. Start the party, celebrate. I'm sick of nonsense. I want to elevate. Familiar feeling.